Podcasters, hear me. It is true what many of you have heard. You need to have your entire podcast library hosted. And as I speak, the solution is here. I stand here before you, truthfully, unafraid, because the Podcaster Matrix is here. Let us shake these microphones, guests, and legacies. Plug into the real-world podcast hosting solution now at podcastermatrix.com. Welcome to Small Business Saturdays. The Small Business Saturdays podcast. With your host and my husband. And my dad, Aaron Montgomery. Join the conversation. Let's talk some business. All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining me this morning here on Small Business Saturdays. Uh, let's see. What day? We are all the way on the 9th of February. Wow. 2019 already into the second month. So great stuff. Hopefully everybody's having great success so far in 2019 and uh, appreciate everybody tuning in and being a part of this community. I am excited today. I've got a, a great guest coming on here for you. We're going to talk about the profile of your ideal customer. And I think this is huge and can help uh, help us all make a lot more money and can help us all t uh, work with a lot better customer base and and all sorts of positive things coming out of what we're going to talk about here today. So I'm um, excited to do that. Uh, before we get into that, I want to just remind everybody to head over to my website, AaronMontgomery.info, and check out things there and, and get signed up for my newsletter. And if you are watching the live version here, please uh, feel free to comment, uh, ask your questions, bring your insight. Uh, Todd, good morning. Thank you for joining me this morning. Hopefully, uh, still frozen tundra up your way there and uh if so uh is it going to be warm enough when i come up there to visit that's what that's what i really want to know because uh, i'm excited to come see what you've got going on up there with your new facility um i think uh, your facebook post said that uh, you have have the new keys already so uh excited to come see that after the dax show coming up at the end of the month uh are we still on schedule todd so <laughs> anyhow Good morning, everybody, and, and again, thank you so much for joining us, and, and uh, make sure that you are bringing your comments, questions, and uh, joining in the conversation with Dale and I. So are we ready to bring Dale in and, and start this discussion again about the profile of your ideal customer? I think we're going to probably go even further than that, and uh, it, it, in fact, uh, I wish I would have been recording the conversation that Dale and I just had before we even got started. Just fantastic, great information, and uh, looking forward to bringing some more. Rich says uh, 12 inches of snow here. Ugh, not uh, not good. Um, <laughs> at least there's no more snow here in St. Louis right now. It seems to have all melted off, but uh, it's been pretty darn cold the last couple of days. But uh, we get some sunshine today, at least. So, um, and Dale actually is from the St. Louis area as well. So. Why don't we bring Dale in here? So, Dale, I'm going to get you clicked over here. One, two, three. All right. Dale, good morning. Uh, Dale Furtwingler is uh, joining us here today. His website is teachingconfidence.com. And, uh, Dale, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Aaron. Thanks for having me on the program. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Like I said, uh, we already had a fantastic uh, conversation, so I could probably just go home and be fulfilled. But uh, <laughs> I want to I share you with everybody else here. So, <laughs> Well, thank so, you for those encouraging words. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Well, so Dale, can you maybe start us off by just kind of giving us your definition of a, a company's ideal customer? What, what's, you know, 
demographically, I can say I want 25 to 36 females, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, but what's, what's an ideal customer to you? Yeah, I use a little different approach, and I know demographics are highly touted in the business community as a way to identify your ideal customer. But what I found is that uh, a psychographic profile, a profile based on the values, behaviors, and characteristics of the individual are a lot more effective tool than demographics. And so if I may, let me share an example yeah. that I use with clients uh, to illustrate this point. So if let's assume for a moment, Aaron, that you own a Mercedes dealership and you know that all of your customers have six figure incomes. You like that, huh? Yeah. So all of your customers have six figure incomes and they live in certain zip codes. Those are the demographics and they're accurate. But what they don't answer is why there are people in those zip codes with six figure incomes that are driving uh, BMWs, Lexus, Hummers, you know, all these other luxury cars. And until we get to that why, we really don't know how to market effectively. Uh, and, and consequently, we use a shotgun approach and waste a lot of money and a lot of time pursuing people who are not really going to be our customers. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And we've already covered on, on this program in past episodes that uh, we've not got anybody joining us that has an unlimited amount of money. I've, I've asked because I was looking for a job, but uh, so we, we do all have a finite resources. So yes, wasting money is not something we want to do. Um, so, so defining our why, it's something we've talked about here in this program before too. Um, I, I guess Let's just dive into this then to talk to us about how we go about finding that ideal customer then. What 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 are the steps that uh, you would recommend? Yeah, the approach that I use and when I'm working with clients and helping them identify their ideal customer is, is a three-pronged approach. The first thing that I do is I get a sense from them through interview questions of why they created the offerings that they have. What made you want to develop this set of products or services that you're offering to market? What was it that you saw that was missing in the marketplace that encouraged you to do this? Because through those questions, what I get from them is a sense for what's really important to them, what their values are, how they perceive things, and, and what's driving, what's motivating them to do what they're doing. So that's the first step. And then I asked them to tell me about their most enjoyable customers. So what makes them so much fun to work with? And through that process, they tell me the things they like about those particular customers and, and why they enjoy working with them. And then the third question that I ask them is, who are your most profitable customers? And why is it that they're willing to pay a premium to get what you have to offer? And interestingly, the most enjoyable and the most uh, profitable are typically the same people. Okay? <laughs> and so what I do then is I take what they've told me and I triangulate that information and I identify the elements that are common to all three. Because that gives me a sense for the values, the behaviors, the characteristics that are aligned among those three groups. And that then indicates who their ideal customer really is. And once you have that information, then you know precisely what language to use in your marketing to get 
uh, to attract the people that share those values. Yeah. So if I may use an example from my own business. Uh, yeah. Years ago, I had a leadership training program. And I had uh, used it in corporate when I was there. And uh, the most dramatic result I'd gotten is my team and I had cut uh, 16,000 hours out of a 40,000 hour budget. And the morale was higher than it had ever been. And we were constantly providing new information. I was the CFO of the company. So we're the finance part. We provide new and better information to the leadership team so they could manage more effectively. And so I coached one of my clients after I got out of corporate on this system. And within a month, she cut her billing cycle from three day, three weeks to two days. And so I had some pretty impressive results to go to the market with, and I got a ton of interest, but my close rate was abysmal. And I kept wondering, who wouldn't want results like this? And when I got serious about answering the question, what I realized, there are three types of managers. There are autocrats who view employees as automatons. You key in the instructions, flip a switch, and they better darn well do what they're told. There are paternalists, people who feel a moral responsibility to provide employment to people who aren't necessarily top tier. And consequently, they don't expect a lot of them. And the third type of manager is what I call the engagement managers. They like to engage their employees in identifying new opportunities and solving problems, streamlining processes. Well, yeah. my program was designed for the third group. That was my ideal customer. So when I realized that, instead of my marketing saying, if you want results like this, give me a call, because everybody wanted results like that. My marketing was, if you're the kind of manager that likes to engage your employees, blah, 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 and you want results like this, give me a call. I got a lot fewer calls, but when I got a call, the sale was virtually made. I didn't have to educate them on that leadership style because they already knew it worked. They just weren't getting the magnitude of results that I had gotten, and they wanted to know how to do that. So it streamlined the sales process dramatically. Yeah. And it enabled me to qualify prospects a lot more quickly. I actually got to the point where with about 95% certainty, I could qualify a prospect on the phone with one question. All I'd have to do is ask them, if you were facing this problem situation with an employee, how would you handle it? The autocrats would say, well, I tell them to do this, that, something else. <laughs> the uh, paternalists would say, well, we'll get them some coaching, some mentoring, or you know, maybe I'll shift the workload. Uh, the engagement manager would say, well, we'll just sit down and talk about it, and together we'd figure out a solution. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, now, nobody, no salesperson relies on one question to qualify a prospect. So I always ask follow-up questions. But I'd say 90, good 95% of the time, the answer to that first question, all following questions just affirmed the, that impression, uh, that perception. Nice. Okay. And, and so it saved me a lot of time and energy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a, a, another finite resource that uh, we've talked about on this program before is is a, we don't have unlimited time either. So <laughs> if we can save money and time by, by doing these things, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so Dale, we've got a great overview of kind of how we're going to get to this 
information and, and how we're going to kind of save our time and, and money here, maybe we can dig in a little deeper into, you know, let, let's start with the, the why part. We'll go back to the, you know, you laid out three areas there for us. Tell us a little bit more about the, the why and, and discovering that and, and maybe some tips and tricks people can use to kind of refine their why and, and pick out the, the right things for them. Yeah, I think with the why, um, typically we do we go into business because it's something we enjoy doing and we want to help people, and so we develop products or services. But the all too often, what gets missed in there is an evaluation of why this is different than what already exists, and why is that important to the customer. Because if we're going into business, which unfortunately too many people do, providing the same products or services that already exist, and there's no differentiation, no additional added you know, value over what everybody else is providing, there's really no point in going into that business. Because if you're going into a business where there are a lot of people already providing exactly what you're providing, then the market has no reason to buy from you. Yeah. They're going to buy from more established businesses with a track record and a reputation that they can trust. And you're an un unknown. You've got to build those things first. And it can be done, but it's very, very time-consuming, very expensive, and very draining from an energy standpoint. So one of the keys is, as you follow your passion going out and I, I'm a firm believer in following your passion. So if you have an interest in doing whatever your business desire is, go for it. But then before you get into it, stop and think about what's missing in the marketplace. If I talk to the customers of people who are already doing that business, what are some of the complaints they have? What are some of the things they wish that product or service did for them that it's not currently doing? Okay. Because when you get identify that, then you can provide something that the market really wants and values and is willing to pay a premium to get because nobody else is doing it at that point. Correct. Correct. Well, that, that's, yeah. uh, that's great. I mean, that, that's a nice, easy path to, to figure out what you want to do. Again, solve those problems for folks. Um, you know, it's certainly something that, uh, that we've talked about before and, and, you know, what sets you apart. In fact, uh, yesterday on the two regular guys podcast, we talked about niche markets and one of the niche market examples that I gave, you know, the, the world that I'm in here, Dale, is a lot of decorators and things like that. So um, when you talked about passion, I wanted to kind of go back to that quickly because passion was something we talked about with a company called Corgi things. Um, this lady has a, very in-depth passion for her corgi dog and so she made a business and, and a very successful business around providing images of corgis and and developed a whole community around it so again it was an underserved area people with corgis didn't have a way to identify with other people in their community and so she built that community and happened to be selling shirts and towels and blankets and all sorts of other things along with that so um, you know, she found her why and uh, and then talked to the right people. Well, exactly. And, and so, you know, to your point, her, what she was really doing was not selling 
the corgi shirts, t-shirts and things like she was building a community of corgi lovers. And these were just tools to enhance the, the building of that community. And yeah. so on the surface, it appears that her business is, is doing corgi t-shirts and other related types of items. Yeah. In fact, what she's doing is building a community of corgi lovers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, in my business, when I was doing uh, and marketing pricing work, as opposed to the confidence work that I'm doing now, uh, one of the, the way I differentiated myself in that market was with my tagline. My tagline was, I'm going to help you get higher prices for your products and services, regardless of what your competitors or the economy were doing. Now, there were a lot of pricing consultants out there who all claimed to be able to help their customers get higher prices for their products and services. But I never heard another one say they were going to do that regardless of what their competitors or the economy were doing. Huh. So you differentiated yourself from them, and, and, and that was your why. Yeah, because the biggest fear that most people have, most business owners have with regard to pricing is that they're going to lose customers as they raise their prices. And, you know, and, and they discount to get more customers. And there are a lot of dangers associated with that. But by giving them the assurance that they were going to be able to get these premium prices, regardless of what their competitors of the economy are doing, appealed to those who believe that that was possible, you know, or were at least interested enough to explore why that was possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. All right. So, so we've talked about our why a little bit there. Um, the, the second part that you laid out was kind of defining the types of customers that you, you like to work with. If I'm quoting you correctly there, can you dig a little deeper into that for us and, and kind of maybe give us some ideas of what the best ways to go about that might be? That is a matter of just paying attention to uh, the energy level that you have <laughs> after an interaction with that customer, okay? Um, because that, that's going to tell you who you really enjoy working with. And it may not necessarily be what the industry indicates would be your ideal customer. To give you an example, I, I shared this with uh, the psychographic profiling with an investment advisor from Edward Jones. And after I had outlined it for him, he said, oh, I know exactly what you mean. He said, I spent time last evening with a young couple. They don't have a lot of resources right now. But he said, I had so much fun working with this couple. He said, if I had 50 like that, I'd be in heaven. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, he just helped identify what he really, the type of people he really likes to work with. And from... If, if you were a sales manager or a, a, a development manager in a large organization of wealth advisors, you tell them, no, no, don't go there. That's not the right market. You're not going to make a lot of money doing that. You know, yeah, that's where his passion was. And, and he will make money at that because as he helps these young people become more successful, they're go going to develop more assets and, and they're going to uh, have more to invest and they, he'll have earned their trust at a stage when most of the people aren't interested in them. Sure. 
Sure. And so when the economy goes down, they're still going to be investing with them where everybody else is going to bail out of the marketplace. Right. And then, you know, as they're as they have kids, they're going to tell their kids, look, this is this is the guy you want to go to, yeah. you know. Nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, can, you can relate that back to, you know, the same thing with with the the decorators here where you're you're helping somebody may not be the ideal, you know, going to make me millions of dollars today. But you're supporting a cause. You're supporting an effort. You're supporting something that's near and dear to you. And you become the trusted go to person for that group, which then grows, talks to other groups grows 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 those those kinds of things I, I think that's where where you're heading with this is that correct <laughs> yeah absolutely and and not only that but you also find that the people that share those values who share that passion with you price is irrelevant to them it doesn't matter yeah because what they value so much is they're going to buy from you good times or bad because I'm a corgi lover you know <laughs> and, and you know if I have to forgo eating out or whatever to get what I want for my corgis I'm going to do it and if yeah. I have to pay a premium to get what I need for my corgis or my community I'm going to do it yeah. because it's that important to me one of the keys is that people will always find the money for what is really important to them. Hi, I'm Kyleen, and you're listening to an episode of the Small Business Saturdays podcast. Do you want to subscribe to the Small Business Saturdays podcast? Head over to smallbusinesssaturdayspodcast.com. There are tons of ways to subscribe. Click on your favorite and grab all the information about growing your small business. That's a that's a very good point, and and I think probably one we, we forget that uh, you know, especially when we're trying to set our prices, we you know we we go oh well we've got to be competitive in the marketplace, and and you know we got to make sure that we discount to get in more people, like you said, and and that's not necessarily where. In fact, you don't really want to be going there. So um, no, good. you don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know I, I when I do my pricing programs. Um, one of the things I do is I pick two uh, premium price companies and two um, low price strategy companies, mm -hmm. and I show the financial results. And they're publicly traded companies, so I got I was able to get the financial show the financial results during the recession from 2009 to 2012. And out of that group, Apple outperformed everybody, selling something nobody needed. Worst recession in seven decades, selling something nobody needed at hefty prices, and they became the largest market cap company in the world. Wow! Yeah, during so if the economy really mattered, yeah, you know, <laughs> that would never have happened. Yeah, people are buying what they want, and they'll find a way to pay for it. That's exactly what you know, what that demonstrates. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we've got a question from, from the, uh, the viewers here, Ron Goodwin asked, uh, Dale, do you think that many times customers judge quality and value based on price thinking that higher price products is inherently worth more? Yes, it, it's absolutely true. And, uh, I got a great example of that years ago when I was doing a pricing program for a group of business owners, and I was making that point. And uh, a woman in the audience said, 
Dale, to, to your point, she said, I've got a 10 year old daughter who wants uh, saving her money to buy a used iPad. And she said, periodically, she goes out online to see what the prices are, you know, and one day she came across this really low priced iPad and she said, well, there's no point in looking at that one. And her mom asked her why. And she said, there's got to be something wrong with it, you know, for the price to be that low. Ten years old. OK, <laughs> so instinctively, intuitively, we know that there's a relationship between price and value. Now, is it always there? No. Yeah. But there are a lot of things that drive, there are actually three things, only three things that any of us buy. We all think that people are buying our products and services, they're not. They're buying image, they're buying innovation, and they're buying time savings. That's it. So they're either buying something because it enhances their own self-image or they think it enhances their image in other people's eyes. They're buying it because it's the latest and greatest of something that they really love. Or they're buying it because it's going to save them time. And you can take any benefit that any company claims to provide to its customers. It's going to fit in one of those three categories. Interesting. That's that's a really good point. I, I yeah, I kind of equate it back to the the perceived value. I think that as people, as humans, we're we're terrible at, at understanding what it really costs to create or make something, especially something that we don't know anything about. A lot of times in in our world, you know, people don't know what goes into making a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. You know, they they just want a t-shirt, um, but their perceived value of, of the product and, and how you sell that t-shirt. So if I'm saying, Hey, you know what, I'm going to get you a hundred t-shirts, three colors for $7. People are going to go, Oh, well, that's just a t-shirt. If I say I'm going to get you 12 performance wear moisture wicking apparel products that is going to show off the brand of your company. The price question goes right out the window. Exactly. Exactly, because then what you're what you're selling is the value of their brand to the public, the image of their brand to the public, right? Yeah. So you're selling, you're telling them, hey, my product is going to enhance your image in your market so that you can generate greater trust and more sales nice. at premium prices. Yeah, that's so. in essence what you're saying that was implicit in what you just said <laughs> right All right good yeah love it we're on the same page and and i knew that uh this would uh <laughs> this would be very valuable for for our listeners here today dale i've, I've got one more question for you here and if anybody uh -huh. else has any other questions for dale feel free to post them in the comments there and and uh, we'll, we'll get dale to answer them but uh so we've talked about kind of defining that ideal customer finding your why profitability, the ones you like to work with the most, those steps. Once I have that information, what's what do I need to do next? What, what do I need to do with that information? You need to change your marketing messages to highlight those values and the behaviors and characteristics that are important so that you're attracting the people who share them and filtering out those that don't. So again, if I can give you an example, and I think you and I talked about this previous to the thing. That's okay, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> but, you know, years ago I had a leadership program uh, and 
I had some pretty impressive results that I went to the market with. When I was in corporate using this system, my team and I had cut 16,000 hours out of a 40,000 hour budget. Morale was higher than it had ever been. And we were producing new information for management all the time. Yeah. Uh, when I got out of corporate, one of my clients within a month cut her billing cycle from three weeks to two days. So I had some fairly good results to go to the market with. And I got a ton of interest, but my close rate was abysmal. And I kept wondering, well, who wouldn't want results like this, you know? And so when I got serious about answering that question, what I discovered was there are three types of managers. There are autocrats who view employees as automatons. You key in the instructions, flip a switch, and they better darn well do what they're told. Yeah. There are paternalists who view employees as, um, oh, they hire people who aren't necessarily top tier. Consequently, yeah. they don't expect a lot of them. Yeah. And the third element, uh, the third type of manager are the engagement managers. They like to engage employees in identifying new opportunities, streamlining processes, and solving problems. Well, my program was designed for the third group. Yeah. So once I realized that, I changed my marketing. Instead of saying, if you want results like this, give me a call. I said, if you're the kind of manager that likes to engage your employees, blah, 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 and you want to get results like this, give me a call. Well, I got a lot fewer calls. But when I got a call, the sale was virtually made because they knew that type of leadership style worked for them. I didn't have to educate them on it. I didn't have to convince them. They knew they just wanted better results. Yeah, the the marketing message, you know, doing doing the work of your your salespeople really is what it, that that boils down to, and or you know, and in our yeah. situations here, we're all of it. You know, we're, we're the marketing company portion, we're the salesperson, we're the janitor, right. we're, we're all that kind of stuff in the small business world here. So it's even more important to get your message correct, so you're spending less time talking to people that aren't necessarily a good fit for you. So I, I think that's a, a huge savings of time for, for the folks in the small business world here. So, Absolutely, absolutely. And there's one other step that I take with that psychographic profile then when okay. I have it. Um, in the sales call, I tell every prospect where my clients and I enjoy the greatest success is when they possess these qualities. And I outline them for them. And interestingly, in about 20% of the cases, they'll ask me, do I qualify? So you talk about changing the dynamic of a sales <laughs> call. You know, they're asking if they qualify to work with me. And interestingly, in those 20%, I typically have a concern. And it opens the door for that discussion. I can share with them what my concern is, and then we can figure out whether or not it's something they can overcome. And if they can, then we can move forward. If they can't, then we just realize we shouldn't start working together. Nice. Um, the other, even the other 80% that don't ask at that point realize this isn't going to be a unilateral decision. They're not deciding whether or not they're going to hire me. We're going to decide jointly whether it makes sense for us to work together. So we develop a more peer relationship from day one. Yeah. This isn't customer vendor, you know, yeah. the, the vendor always kowtowing, you know, we're yeah. on equal footing. Yeah, your partners and, and partnerships are way more successful than, uh, like I said, one person telling the other person this is how it's going to be done. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Nice, so. Nice. so, Dale, you kind of briefly mentioned that you've got some uh, work that you're doing in the in the confidence world now, too. So maybe uh, just give our listeners a little bit of information about what uh, what's going on on there at teachingconfidence.com. Yeah, I've uh, as a result, both of the pricing work that I was doing and the fact that my customers there were telling me all all telling me the same thing that they had more confidence than they ever did before and allowed them to hold firm on their pricing and they were having more fun doing business as a result at the same time i was getting that feedback i had over a half a dozen people say to me i want your life and i said what <laughs> you know it's the right life for me i've structured it the way i want it to be but i never considered it enviable and so i would challenge them on that statement and they'd say well I want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it like you do. Or I want to take advantage of opportunities and not worry about the consequences the way that you do. Or I want to be able to take off more time and travel and not worry about the money. So they were really telling me they wanted to be free of fear, anxiety, and frustration. And it got me to wondering, well, how did I get there? Because I truly have lived that way for more than 30 years now. Uh, and I realized it was confidence, which was somewhat surprising because despite having grown up in one of the most loving, nurturing households any child could hope to have, I was a very shy and secure kid. And it got me to think about, well, how did I develop this confidence that I could just live unafraid, if you will? Yeah. And um, I was able to think of the things I had learned along the way. And I've created, I wrote a trilogy of books on confidence one for each level of confidence that I've identified. And I've created a course that teaches others how to teach confidence. And so I'm certifying instructors so that we can reach more people and have more people uh, living a life that others say, you know, I want your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's where I'm headed these days, what I'm working on these days and having a blast doing it. Good. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, everybody, check check that out over at teachingconfidence.com. Also, you mentioned some books, and and I'm in the middle of my first book of yours, or just about wrapping up the first book. But you've got some great ones, so they're all on my Amazon wish list right now. And um, so I actually went ahead and just to make it easy for everybody to find them, if you go to AaronMontgomery.info/dale. Uh, that'll take you over to the Amazon list of your books there, Dale. And and I would suggest people uh, check those out. Like I said, I'm I'm working on uh, one with one with the universe right now. Is that the title? Again? Right. Mm -hmm. I keep forgetting it. You told me once before already. So yeah. <laughs> no, keep... no problem. Uh, I don't often remember the titles of books. I just remember <laughs> the lessons I learned from them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's where I'm at right now for sure. So good yeah. stuff. All right, Dale. Well, I, I've uh, taken some some of your time this morning, and I really appreciate all the great information. Uh, I think we've got most of our questions covered. I know I got my questions covered, and and uh, you know, like you and I talked about before we got started, we're on the same page. I think we're we're bringing the same message, and I just love to have yeah. people get a perspective from somebody else. You know, maybe the, your language is a little bit different than my language, so people will understand how to make that next step in their business to be successful and, and have profitable customers that they love doing business with. So that's the goal. That indeed is the goal. And uh, if, if we helped one person in that regard, this was a good use of time. So awesome. Awesome. thanks again for having me on the program. You're welcome, Dale. Have a great rest of your Saturday, and, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Aaron.
All right, guys. Well, that was fantastic. And I, I have just recently met Dale within the last uh, couple of months and uh, uh, been been fantastic to get to know him. I'm, I'm excited to continue to get to know him. Like I said, I'm reading one of his books right now. So I do uh, invite you guys to go check that out. Uh, just like I said, made an easy link for you, AaronMontgomery.info slash Dale to go check that stuff out. Um, so great stuff. And, and, uh, Ron just shared, uh, you did. Thank you. So, uh, great use of our time, Dale. Thank you very much. Awesome guys. Well, uh, great small business Saturday here today. If you guys have any questions, want to reach out to me, my email address is scrolling across the bottom right now, Aaron at motcoconsulting.com. And, uh, I, I'm not real sure what we've got coming up next week. I've got some things on the list, but I, I really want to kind of craft and refine that. I'm actually going to be traveling next week and uh, we'll be in Phoenix, Arizona, visiting some family, but uh, we'll still be bringing you Small Business Saturday from, uh, I think, Maricopa. I think we'll be at my uh, my wife's family's house. So I'm looking forward to uh, kind of getting down there, getting some sun and some warmth and uh, bringing a new uh, new spirit to you next Saturday out of the cold of St. Louis here. But uh, anyhow, uh, everybody have a great Saturday and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for tuning into another episode of Small Business Saturday Podcast. We appreciate having you as part of the community of listeners. Tune in for the live video sessions at facebook.com slash aaronmontgomery.info to become part of the active community. You can contact me directly at aaron at montcoconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening.